Hey everybody, welcome back to Bald Movies. Uh, we got a, a, something new and interesting on multiple different fronts here. Fronts. Multiple fronts. Number That's how one. Patrick Stewart would say fronts. Fronts. Uh, is born Jean-Luc Picard, born in France. Uh, <laughs> this is a documentary, which we haven't done for a while. 2014 documentary, uh, which sets to explain the first three seasons of Star Trek The Next Generation. It's called Chaos on the Bridge. It was written, directed, and stars William Shatner. I'm shaky about the first two, but he's definitely a big part of the documentary on the third. Um, Though not as second, much as you might expect, given his reputation. That's true. That's true. He actually was pretty generous uh, interviewee. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to talk about that here in a minute. or We'll talk about that. Uh, second interesting thing is uh, commissions are back, baby. Uh, we announced it a, a couple weeks ago, and uh, Anne Marin is the first to take us up on our offer. Um, you might recognize Anne from sponsoring some bidet giveaways at, uh, in uh, uh, some Bald Move charity runs of years past. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was like really, I know, enthusiastic about the commissions and devastated when we turned them off. And uh, boy, I no surprise she's the first in line to get one. Uh, but she wanted us to watch this documentary, which was very generous of her because, you know, we love Star Trek, uh, particularly The Next Generation. Uh, Anne's dedication slash notes were as follows. She says, in 1986... <laughs> I'm having a hard time with the enunciation today. That's how Patrick Stewart 19- would say it. In 1980 sucks. Um, that's more of a Sean Connery. Yeah. In 1986, Paramount Studios decided to launch a new Star Trek series without Gene Roddenberry. What happens next is the resulting tumultuous power struggles that shaped the first three seasons of The Next Generation and is the focus of this documentary, written and directed by William Shatner. Shatner is a good, maybe even great interviewer, and his one-on-one conversations all the key players make up most of the content along with the graphic novel-inspired illustrations of some of the more dramatic moments. What makes this documentary particularly entertaining are some of the fascinating villains like the pompous studio exec who proudly boasts about the time he belittled Patrick Stewart in front of the uh, the a packed Paramount commissary. There's Gene Roddenberry's lawyer who used to break through the writer's offices and tamper with scripts. And Mari Hurley, head writer for the first two seasons who joke, Shatner jokingly calls the gunslinger because of all the screaming showdown matches he had with pretty much everyone, including Roddenberry. Most notably, Chaos on the Bridge describes Gene Roddenberry's final years, his genius, paranoia, and the power struggles that almost destroyed the show. Though some, like Patrick Stewart and Gates McFadden, saw Roddenberry as a visionary, others found his ideas of a conflict-free society, and this is an exact phrase, wacky doodle. Mm -hmm. Of course, in the end, spoiler alert, Roddenberry dies during the third season, which freed the production writing staff to make TNG stories more character-driven, and to create the expanded Star Trek universe we all know and love today. Content warning, if you have any aspirations to work in the entertainment industry, you may come away from this documentary wondering why anyone would want to work in this industry that's full of assholes. And thank you so much for commissioning this podcast. Uh, Jim, what did you think of Chaos on the Bridge? I mostly liked it. I I thought... Um... Yeah, you know, I hinted that you know William Shatner can be a bit much uh, in the the inflated head, inflated ego department uh, from time to time. Waistline, but he he does not let that get in the way of uh, doing a good interview here. Uh, I I assumed going into this that it would be some kind of hit piece from Shatner, who was jealous of not getting you know involved in the new in in the renaissance of Star Trek on television. and I was amazed at how little that played into it. Um, and if it is a hit, a hit piece, it's a, I don't, I don't even want to say well disguised because that's what it is. Right. But it's not maybe from the angle that I was thinking. Uh, it's more like getting all the writers together and, and just talking mm. about like what happened here um, and right. producers and all that stuff. So I, I kept looking for that angle and it wasn't there. And I was pleasantly surprised by that. Um, and then, it was I don't know if you can find this information elsewhere because um, this documentary is made in 2014 mm-hmm. so it's you know almost 20 almost 30 years after the fact because um, we're talking about like 1986 to 89 events here right uh, and I'm sure that stuff's out there but like I I don't actively go seeking it out um, most of the time and so when I come across a 
gem like this, uh, it, it just has so many stories that I'm like, wow, I can't believe that happened. I can't believe any of this shit worked. I can't believe they made it out of the first season just because of all of the problems and struggles. And that's really the focus of the documentary. And I enjoyed it. Yeah, I, you know, I'm a, I'm totally in the tank for Star Trek The Next Generation. It's like um, a very seminal television show in my development as a person and my appreciation for entertainment. And I followed a lot of the industry gossip because, um, like, I used to subscribe to Starlog Magazine um, and read some of the other science fiction trades and stuff because, um, you know, I was a, <clears throat> I was a bit of a nerd. Oh, yeah. And uh, but the thing is, is how much sanitization happens and how much disinformation happened in those things. Like, I, I feel like that back in these days that like Starlog would just credulously report anything a director or executive producer would tell them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's like I, I got I think, you know, if, if this documentary is to be believed, I got some wrong information about some some things. Like, for example, I remember watching this Good Morning America piece with all the crew and like remember remarking like, wow, they literally have everyone here except for Patrick Stewart and finding out, uh, I guess why. And you can actually see that. I was, I watched like an hour and a half of star Trek, uh, the next generation outtakes because number one, this is actually very hard to find. You can't rent it anywhere, but it's up on it. It's in, in, you can buy it as a Blu-ray or a DVD on Amazon. Otherwise, um, at least in America, um, you have to watch it on YouTube with Spanish subtitles, mm-hmm. which did detract from the experience. Embedded um, subtitles, yeah. Embedded subtitles, yeah, you can't turn them off. Um, and one of the things that was auto-suggested was like a reel of Next Generation bloopers. And I'm like, fuck yeah, I've seen a few of these. But I'm gonna sit, I watched like an hour and a half of them. It was great. <laughs> really put a smile on my face. And like you, like, yeah, like um, I knew some of this stuff, but a lot of it was new. And like some of the stuff, like for... I particularly enjoyed there. There's only like six, 60 to 90 seconds of it, but every moment of Jonathan Frakes mm. and William Shatner sharing the screen is fucking gold. Uh-huh. Those hams are hamming off each other and like, t- like yeah. embellishing each other's story. It was, it was a delight. I, I wish there was 30 minutes uh, of just that part of the interview. Um, and and honestly, guaranteed everyone, there is right. It, it exists probably. somewhere, but oh God, why has that footage pay? been released? I would pay 20, 30 bucks just to get if the blue like if if the Blu-ray has those extra features, I might I might uh, order yeah. it because um, there's a couple of noticeable like a uh, Brent Spiner wasn't in this at all. Mm-hmm. I don't think LeVar Burr actually, you know what? There's a lot of people that weren't in it as far as especially if you're talking about, um, you know, current day. There was some like clips of them and stuff, but like I don't think they had Michael Dorn. Um but they sent, I guess it's like it was more more about the people who had problems or were at the center of the controversy and stuff. Right, it wasn't and just about them. Uh, that's why I mean it's it is a hit piece, right? Like they're focusing on the negative here and how this all was yeah. just a shit show from start to start to season yeah. three. Uh, yeah. But it didn't feel like it had an agenda. So it, beyond that, right? Like it just it because like you and I comment all the time how Star Trek. The, the next generation first two seasons yeah the, the 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 leap between season one and season two is pretty big but season two season three is enormous like everything just kind of smooths out and i just thought it's like well that's how television works you know it takes a while to build up the characters and the information what you know about them and but it turns out like this thing makes a pretty compelling case it was it was a storytelling direction decision yeah to to stop putting emphasis on planet of the week and monster of the week and alien of the week and start actually thinking like, is this a wharf episode? Is this a data episode? Is this a Troy episode? Everyone needs to have like a long, um, these, these long, you know, like a, like an hour long arc that we can give them a little bit at a time. And boy, the show just really takes off after that. Who to thunk? Mm-hmm. Who to thunk that you 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 uh, con- you concentrate on the characters and the relationships with themselves and the audience relationships with that, and and it'll be more successful and more fun to watch. Who would have thunk? Yeah, which seems like we're we're rounding into like every writer on television and movies understanding that now. Um, but yeah. you know, this was yeah. thirty years ago, so like, right? It, it and it's amazing the journey that they had to take to get to that point. Um, and yeah. part of that is, you know, Roddenberry's fault. Part of that is a Maurice Hurley guy. Uh, part of that is uh, Lenny, the lawyer. It, it, yeah. Maislish just come like the, the the 
script gremlin. Like he comes in in the middle of the night <laughs> and swaps out like a quarter of your script. Yeah, and he's <laughs> the fuck, man. And they tried yeah. to get this guy off the lot. He just kept showing up. It's uh-huh. uh, there are so many great, great stories in here. Uh, it, and they're, you know, mostly about how harrowing this all was. But I, I oh, really yeah. appreciated like the journey from the initial storytelling idea, which I think is really cool and interesting. And I think some of those writers found a way to work within, which was Roddenberry's vision of the humanity has solved a lot of its problems um and it's interpersonal struggles right um and now all of the threats are going to come from without yeah but that really presented a barrier to traditional dramatic storytelling and it's why you see seasons one and two kind of like we don't know what the hell to do with any of these characters because they can't argue with each other (laughs) they didn't feel human and you know like uh think about how many in Breaking Bad or Mad Men or uh, Leftovers, any how many screaming matches happen between characters? Yeah, you know, and how much drama you generate between like people just doing dirty to each other, doing wrong. And Star Trek, like that's just not how people in the 24th century behave. Mm-hmm. They listen to each other, they take each other seriously. There's no sexism, there's no racism, there's no class. People aren't their their ideas aren't dismissed because of who it comes from. Mm-hmm. Like. Your fight, you know, like uh, I used to make this argument with my mom all the time because she like had this idea that like I couldn't partake of any uh, entertainment that had violence or that had that had like uh, violence, conflict or magic. And I'm like, what is a story without conflict? Like I understood this as 13 years old and listening to these writers pull their hair out. It's like, man, you're fighting with one arm tied behind your back uh, when you can't have the characters themselves embroiled in conflict. But I think it overall, let me reset. But I think that that limitation, you know, I think there's other problems in the first two seasons, but mm-hmm. it's like, I don't think they ever, they, they kept true to that, that like most of the conflict was not yes. between the crew for like stupid, you, you know, uh, misunderstandings, ego, jealousy, right? Like that shit just didn't even exist throughout the, uh, and the crew, like the idea that Picard as a routine set piece would invite his senior crew into a conference room and have a fucking meeting yeah like the i even today that sounds wild that you would grind your show to a halt for five ten minutes to have a business meeting uh-huh. like but it it fucking works man no, uh, i think it's great the balance they struck between yeah the the conflict between the crew members and the conflict from you know alien races and and the internal conflict right like so many of these characters are internally conflicted, um, especially Data. I mean, he's kind of the prime example. Like, how is he going to be more human? It's not within his nature, but maybe it could be. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think they found a great balance between all of those things. Uh, and, and it really starts to stand out in subsequent seasons. Yeah. Uh, do you want to talk about this in kind of a structured way? Because I thought we could start up front with the man up front, Gene Roddenberry. Okay. Um, and he seemed like a real man of contradictions. In fact, one of the early scenes is, uh, like it seemed like 30 people in quick succession doing a sound bite. And it was just like, you know, Gene's the kindest man I've ever met. Gene's a real fucking asshole. Mm -hmm. Gene is the greediest money grub versus, oh, he's so kind. Like, what do you think explains the different ways in which we see Gene in this documentary? Uh, because I got a couple of theories, but I was wondering if you Alcohol? had any. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, that's got to be <laughs> part of it, right? Blame it on the ah, 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 ah. Um, um, yeah. But but also, yeah, I mean, look, people people aren't just one thing. Um, and if you mm-hmm. get somebody who's under extreme stress, who normally is the nicest person you've ever met, they can snap, they can be angry, they can be, you know, short with you. I People are. People are very much an amalgamation of good and bad. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that, like, I wonder how much age had to do with it because they they laid this case out that, like, you know, Gene Roddenberry um, had tried to get a lot of stuff in through Hollywood. Mm-hmm. You know, they 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 had the, um, uh, you know, these they, they they had these transitional things where they would have everything drawn in kind of like a wild wild west schematic thing. Um, but they had him like out in the desert and there's all these signposts pointing to Spectre and all these other pilots that he tried to get off and they'd failed. They even left off my favorite po- posthumous project of his Earth Final Conflict. 
Right. Um, but uh, and also it wasn't Andromeda. That was another Gene Roddenberry fucking from the grave. Majel Barrett situation. Maybe that the Kevin Sorbo post Hercules uh-huh. nightmare. Um, but uh, I, I wonder like, cause he had this like massive chip on his shoulder that he had made Paramount and CBS a pile of money on this show that also they point out that like it was not like Star Trek was always on the verge of failing. Mm. Like he made three barely successful television seasons and then had a 30 year gap. And it made it made it seem like he had two things going on. The fans kept writing him letters and he had an office in Paramount where he would just like spend all his day corresponding with fans and buttering them up and vice versa. So his ego is getting fluffed and fluffed and fluffed versus the reality of him being a a virtual has been. And then in his old age, when he may be a little crankier, maybe less in control of his mental and emotional facilities, gets handed this like home run opportunity and like is like. God damn it. This is going to, I'm, this is what I'm going to be remembered for. This is going to be my legacy. And it like gripped him so up that he was a fundamentally more mean and short person. Yeah, uh, it's, it's strange how they frame it. And I don't know if this is, I mean, it's obviously Shatner. He wrote and directed this thing. Um, framing everything about this period and really about Roddenberry as a power struggle. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't like that. But mm-hmm. I'm sure that's how it is in Hollywood. I'm sure like it's right. all about power dynamics. And if you're if you're out, you're out. And if you're in, you better make the best of it because you're going to be out yeah. soon. Um, you're you're either winning or you're losing and you're winning necessi- necessitates other people losing. Yeah. It's yeah. Very dog eat dog. Yeah. Zero sum kind of, you know, it's it's nasty and I, I don't uh-huh. particularly like it. And, and many of the writers, you know, uh, there's shit i don't remember his name torme or something a uh, guy who mm. was talking about that right and how he hates it grew up in yeah. a, a family that was in show business and it's just like that uh and it's so, so that's kind of like clouded my my understanding but maybe that's what i mean it seems like that's what shatner's trying to get at but i don't know if that's him coming and bringing that to yeah this whole era or if that's something that was naturally in there um but, you know, taking his word, yeah, it seemed like he was trying to, if not mount some kind of comeback, then at least make the most of the power he did have, because by all rights, he was Star Trek, right? Like everybody mm-hmm. who was familiar with Star Trek, everybody who was a fan knew the name Roddenberry and thought that he was the primary driving force of that. And without Roddenberry and Star Trek, I don't know that... I think they're right. I don't know that you could have done a reboot of a television series in the Star Trek universe without him. Because the fan, and I remember this, the fans being very divided about like everyone wanted more Star Trek, but we all assumed that it would be because the old crew were still making movies. Right. It's not like they were gone and retired. Like we were a very popular, successful movies. Yeah. Um, but Roddenberry, and I, I guess I didn't know this either because he was always credited as executive producer and consultant and all this stuff. But like essentially since Star Trek to motion picture, Roddenberry had been shoved off the project he had been Mm -hmm. barred from you know like we don't want you anywhere near with your shitty utopian hornball ideas because that's other interesting thing that they that they kind of made a contrast that like gene roddenberry as a young man writes jean-luc picard or no i'm sorry writes uh, james t kirk who's buff and handsome and young and virile and fucking girls and punching aliens and fucking and aliens then, too <laughs> and fucking aliens yeah and, and punching girls sure, I'm sure yeah i'm pretty sure there was a gladiator yeah. episode where he did oh yeah um and then you know roddenberry i always thought that was an showed an evolution of the federation but also saying like you know roddenberry in his old age was a little bit more mellow and a lot more like you know uh, I, I want these other wackadoo ideas of like people not, you know, being embroiled in accumulation. It's so funny to hear this old Hollywood guy be like, "Ah, oh, Gene's crazy wackadoo ideas that the human race will eventually, you know, stop trying to accumulate things like toddlers. Like who the fuck? What is kind of sense does this make? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that guy's um, funny. But he just, he just kind of aged and kind of mellowed out and was like more, you know, I, now I want a captain who, but but the the documentary kind of contradicts itself because mm-hmm. Roddenberry was very against Patrick Stewart being hired because he's this old bald guy, yeah, that wasn't anything like 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 uh, Kirk. So 
what which one is which one's right or maybe it's a little bit of column a a little bit of column b yeah i mean i think you know they're uh, so i felt like this documentary was a little disjointed at the beginning um it didn't yeah. have like a narrative that it was really trying to build other than like the the beginning of this was a struggle and and one thing it does say yeah is that roddenberry was a man of contradictions and so i guess you can chalk mm-hmm. it up to that right like Okay, at at one point he's this, at another point he's this, and maybe, you know, at both points he's both of those things. It's yeah. just what what manifests in any given environment. Or you have an efficient, maybe one of the efficient, you know, kind of businessman executive that Picard was, but he wanted a full head of hair, broad shoulders and yeah. you know, a washboard abs. Like he's like, I still I still want women to be attracted to them. Um, and and it, it turns out that plenty of women are attracted to to Patrick Stewart. You don't say. Yes. You don't say. He's a, and, and a very good quite, looking and attractive man. Quite a few gentlemen too, I imagine. I imagine uh, so. <laughs> um, so what did you the other thing I thought was interesting is the inclusion of this Wild West yeah. motif. Don't and like it. Like with the Western that's just Bill Shatner, right? It's a, that's a hundred percent Shatner being that's, old Star Trek. That's what I thought. Yeah, mm. it, it's gotta be. Um you know, well, he likes that horse and cowboy shit anyway. Too. Yeah, yeah. He, I mean, he ha- owns his own ranch, his own yeah, horse, yeah. Uh, his own horse charity with his wife. So, like, uh, yeah, the the man is is a bit of a cowboy, and James T. Kirk was a bit of a cowboy, and that motif comes from I think the original Star Trek, but that changed. Um, and I didn't like it. I loved the illustrations. I thought the person who illustrated this is a freaking genius. Um, yeah. It was hilarious. It it, it captured everyone's essence uh but mm-hmm. it just didn't fit with what i think of as star trek in the the modern mm-hmm. era it's much more a classical star trek kind of motif it also seemed like it's part of the narrative because they were just they were trying to suggest that these people are high stake poker players desperados you know struggling for supremacy over this small time writers room like a west like a small time western town but I, I was trying to think, is like, how much of this is Bill Shatner and how much of this was someone idea of like, oh, Star Trek is supposed to be the, a chuck wagon through the stars right. and kind of a space Western in, in the vein of Firefly, or I guess the Fireflies is in, in the vein of, and they're using that aesthetic. But I, I thought, yeah, I, I thought it was pretty much like 90% Shatner being like, hey, yeah, man, uh, put some Ponderosa in there. <laughs> yeah, it was weird. Uh Yeah. Yeah, and it's especially the music. Like this would have been. I feel like this documentary would have felt a little bit more polished if they had just used some TNG music or some uh-huh. knockoff TNG music. Like the like like instead of playing the you know menacing banjo when evil Paramount ex- executive uh, what Jack Jack Dickface mm-hmm. instead of playing the evil banjo. Like imagine if they just played the ominous Federation horns that accompanied a commercial break cliffhanger. Like when, like I just thought that that would have worked a lot, lot better. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I don't know. Cause like they also were trying to capture the character and I can't remember what this guy's name. Um, uh, Jack Reacher, Jack Ryan, Jack, John Jack Pike. Reacher, that's John Pike. Yeah. Um, as Ann alludes to, he is just a massive asshole. Yeah. Like every opportunity he has to deescalate, he escalates. Mm-hmm. He plays needless power games. Like he he brags in the very beginning of the documentary that he has Roddenberry at this high stakes poker table where he is demanding from John Roddenberry that he has to write a two hour script for the the premiere. It has to be a two part premiere. And he didn't really, he didn't really care. Mm-hmm. And he also knew that Roddenberry could walk, and if he walked, he was fucked out of millions of dollars because the, the again, the, the fan community is already like, fuck this Picard and Riker and Data shit. We want Kirk, Spock, McCoy. We want the old Enterprise. They're still out there. We're hungry for it. We want more of it. Um, and if he tried to go with that Roddenberry, the project would be doomed from the start. Why? Why does this man do this? I don't know. I really don't know if if I could understand almost if it was something with like, you know, where where money was at stake or like positions within the yeah. company were at stake. But it seems like there's no stakes here, and yeah. and you just want to inject some form of rivalry. I'd... Yeah, 
Like your know. star actor has a little, maybe, I think he's, I think the, okay, let's talk, there's this incident, I think it was on Good Morning America, it could, could have been on um, the Today Show, where they had the, the Paramount had arranged for the entire cast and crew to do this, like, kind of like the entire episode was around the Star Trek thing. They were going to, like, have a meeting on 10 Forward, and they had all the cast there, and Patrick Stewart had just, like, you know, before he agreed to do it, said, hey, you know, this is a serious show and the fans really take it serious. Like, I don't want any jokes. I don't want any Klingon stupid stuff. I want this to be, you know, like, like treated like a, a quality television show. And he shows up to the set and like the very first thing he sees the, the, the weatherman in the captain, his, I guess he says his uniform. I don't yeah. know if he literally means that, but like, and making Star Trek jokes. And he's like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm out. Yeah. So, so the dude was wearing his uniform. I watched this. I went and I watched the Good Morning America uh-huh. segment uh the dude was sitting in tin forward with a romulan behind the bar serving him strange alien drinks yes uh in captain picard's uniform it's yes exactly this kind of thing that patrick stewart requested not to be so he, he storms off the set and um this guy calls a meeting and says hey i'll meet you uh i'll meet you at the this uh paramount restaurant on the thing and in a very busy time when everyone will see him there and he deliberately makes patrick stewart wait for 15 minutes as a power move and yeah. this is between season three and i wonder if this is like i'm i think this is between season three or four it might be between season two and three which wouldn't make my part point as strong but like i wonder if um this is where some of these rumors of patrick stewart leaving the show that scared the shit out of me in, in this long summer between season three and season four where, where Picard was Borgified and Riker just ordered him to be fired on by their super weapon. Uh-huh. Um, but he shows up and says, you know what, uh, late and says, you know what, Patrick, um, let's just nip this in the bud. I understand you're unhappy. Um, we, can, we just we don't I, I don't want to star your caliber, uh, uh, you know, uh, disrespected this way. Let's just cut your contract early at the end of the season and, you know, part of separate ways. And play you know what if that had happened like mm-hmm. i don't know it'd be interesting to see captain Riker, but holy shit what the f- and again yeah. because patrick stewart stormed like like you know maybe it was a little high-handed but he had a legitimate grievance um, yeah so i'm I- actually incredibly happy to see that patrick stewart is a human being that gets angry uh, yeah because <laughs> like i think <laughs> of him in these terms of Jean-Luc Picard and uh-huh. Jean-Luc Picard very rarely, if ever, loses his temper. Um, it seems like Patrick Stewart on a, you know, fair, fairly regular. I, I don't know. There are several instances he mentions of him, you know, being in an argument or being very angry. I, it's comforting to know that even mm. your heroes, people you look up to, can have their bad days. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's bullshit. Like, uh, why? Why do that? Why bother? The line must be drawn here. <laughs> At costume weatherman, no further. Um, and he, he he storms out of the set. I don't know. And then the, the Patrick Stewart tells a story, and he's like, "All oh, that's bullshit." Um, well, he says, "I he don't recall me, that very well." He he, he said he called me in his office, gave me a dressing down, and then said at the end of it, "But like just off the record, I I I understand your point, and I see." So it's like I that's the other thing is like, is this guy even telling the truth when he's talking? Like he like Roddenberry's dead. What's he going to say? There's like uh. five people in the room. You know, like, like, what's he, Rodmary's going to turn from the grave and be like, nah, you begged me to do that two hour script, you fucking, and I, the, I had you by the balls. And either scenario makes this dude look like an asshole, because in one yeah. scenario, he looks like an asshole in 1986. In the other scenario, he looks like an asshole in 2014 sitting in that right. chair lying to you about a meeting that never happened. Like, and you got you got to play hardball for creative purposes or for like to save budget, you know, because the show's going to be canceled unless you carve a, a million dollars out of it and whatever. Mm-hmm. But like, and they also strongly imply that Denise Richards, yeah, or De- no, I'm sorry, Denise, Denise Crosby, Richards, Denise yeah. Crosby, Lieutenant Yar, got rotten, written out of the set because she just complained about not getting screen time. Yeah, and instead of addressing, and it's 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 a shame because if she had stuck around to season three, she would have gotten her fair share. Yeah. But um, you know, like she didn't say like get me out of this show. I want a Hollywood career. She's kind of like, hey, you know what? Uh, it'd be nice to be more than just like she said. Literally, entire episodes, she'd be on set for twelve hours, and the only thing you'd see is her legs mm-hmm. behind the hor- you know, the famous tactical horseshoe and on the bridge of the Enterprise. And I'm like, why would you do that? I remember being, I really liked Tasha Yar, you know, and nothing else. She's she's fucking Data. That was cool. Uh, 
why? Why yeah, do you do I, that for it, a legitimate it's, grievance? It, it's a waste of time, right? As an actor, I have to imagine you you feel time pressure uh, in your yeah. career, right? As as you get older, your career, it, you know, for most people, uh, is not as strong as it can be when you're young. And so to stand there for potentially seven years on the bridge of the Enterprise, not getting any lines, not getting any portfolio. What were you going to go to them and say, yeah, I was in Star Trek Next Generation. Oh, no, your legs were. Uh, if we need four, a leg model, we'll call you. But like, here's four scenes of me exclusively talking about my past, where as a young teenage woman, I avoided the rape gangs of planet fuck you for three. Like that was her whole like, I couldn't believe we just recently watched the whole first episode season on the Twitch watch party. I couldn't believe that like that's like literally was coming that that's if she had a line, mm-hmm. it was uh either being abducted by that weird racist African warlord character or you talking about her evading the rape gangs of the prison planet she grew up on. Uh, yeah. It's like come rough shit, man. That's, that's not then, building your repertoire. No. And everybody like, you know, was getting short shrift. Like, what do we know about Worf that we didn't know from the pilot? What or do we know about De- Yeah. Like Deanna came off a little bit better because Majel Barrett, probably a little nepotism there was written into the show and that was her mom. So she got a couple early arcs because of that kind of coattail stuff. But like mm-hmm. other than, you know, uh, Riker and, and Picard, uh, they didn't, they didn't get a lot of screen time and, and a lot, and certainly not plots. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I just, I, I wonder like what had, what would have been if you had a couple of more cooler heads on top um, and early goings of Star Trek. Um, yeah, and it's it's also hilarious to me to hear the things that they they say that are now totally wrong. Like the idea that you couldn't make a successful sequel to a, a science fiction show on television because, oh, yeah. like, all we get mm. now are remakes and reboots and sequels, and like you get occasional uh, you know new properties, but for the most part, we're we're stuck in sequel land. We're stuck in reboots and nostalgia and like. Yeah. All that stuff. So and like stuff that they said, like literally you think like recasting the original crew of Star Trek mm-hmm. and doing that like, you know, we've successfully done that and beat that into the ground. Yeah. Um, I thought it was interesting that they had they originally had uh, Patrick Stewart read in a bad toupee that they flew in from another country. Yeah, like a, he, he, had, he had an emergency in case of audition toupee in his home back in England that they broke the glass on and shipped over and he pasted on his head to read a few lines. That's incredible. Like the, the amount of time, effort, money spent on flying in a man's fake hair. I I don't know. I'd like to see the bill for that. Well, it's like we were just talking about this Corey Stoll in that season of The Strain. Right. Like Corey Stoll is a very distinguished actor because of his bald head. Mm-hmm. And you put him in a bad toupee? What the fuck? Like I can't even I can't even imagine Patrick Stewart in like some kind of Bill Shatner get up. Uh, I mean, uh, the only reason to do that with an actor, in my opinion, is so that you can maybe age them convincingly mm-hmm. later on, or have a plot line that revolves around their their yeah. losing their hair. I I don't know. There aren't a lot of legitimate reasons to put a bald man in a toupee anymore. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is like uh, Patrick Stewart kind of owned up to this because it's funny if you ever watch Star- a compilation of Star Trek The Next Generation Outtakes which I have you might come to the conclusion that Patrick Stewart is one of the bigger hams hmm. because like his favorite thing to do is one of his co-actors break is just to make these ridiculous rubber faced mugging things it's, that's hilarious you've probably seen him in tons of reaction gifts at this point but like I guess the first season or two he was actively annoyed at the Hollywood culture of like you know, we're going to learn our lines, kind of, but also we might need 12 takes to get through this scene. And if we blow a line, we might all laugh and collapse and make jokes and do all that kind of stuff. Like he was, he's from a Royal Shakespeare Theater Company and he wasn't fucking having it. You don't get second um, chances on the stage. There are no cuts. Yeah, but it's funny because you listen to the others. So he's kind of like, it sounds like they met in the middle that where he was like mellowed out a little bit, but also his relentless professionalism rubbed off on the rest of their crew and they're like god we don't want to get on the bad side of patrick we don't want to let patrick down so like they kind of met in the middle he was a little allowed to be a little silly and have fun and uh 
you know, maybe not sweat the line so much too. Cause I, I imagine that's super cranky if, if, and especially when you're getting these scripts two and three days yeah. that have had half the script replaced mm-hmm. and you're trying to memorize this stuff. Imagine him like staying up till four o'clock in the morning to learn his lines. And then everybody else is like, fuck, they gave me a, a script the day before. All right. And like, that would be infuriating. Yeah. But, um, I, my favorite part of the whole documentary is the exchange between Jonathan Frakes and William Shatner, where Frakes was talking about how, what a stickler Patrick Stewart was. And he was talking about like they were singing, they did sing and dance and wrestle. And Bill Shatner was like, Oh my God, you guys were like rolling on the floor and dancing. He's like, yeah, Bill, you're acting like you didn't do this. (laughs) And Bill says, no, I didn't. He's like, Oh, Bill, like, Uh I I feel like Shatner. I don't know. Do you think Shatner was like super duper serious on the set of star Trek? It, It seems hard to be super duper serious on that set. Like you're, you're you're watching a man with glue on ears, mind meld with a pile of foam. Exactly. And like, <laughs> yeah. Like while he's holding a dildo shaped rock, it's it, yeah. It, yeah. I I don't think you could really keep a straight face totally on that thing. Yeah. Um. My yeah, my favorite tough. part of the documentary is hearing about the Borg storyline because uh, yeah. it's something we discussed and having just come to the end of what season two. Uh, or, sorry, season one, we sort of see like maybe there's a setup for that and you can see them kind of gearing up to get into season two full bore with the Borg. And I think that would have been a huge mistake because mm-hmm. the the Borg storyline uh, is something that kind of spans the entirety of Star Trek The Next Generation and makes every season that it appears in more enjoyable, in my opinion, because it's a fantastic hook. They wanted to shotgun through that in season two to start season two with the Borg and then have them defeat the Borg by the end of it, which would have set an impossibly high bar for seasons three through seven if Mm -hmm. if they had actually achieved that. Right. Mm -hmm. Like the conspiracy. They talk about the conspiracy stuff a little bit, too, um, and how which they wanted that to be more of a thing. But no, I actually think that I'm. I I want I because that's what, coming away from the first season of Star Trek that we just recently watched together. That conspiracy stuff worked really well for me, and in hindsight, as an adult, like as the the it didn't work so well for me as a kid because it scared the piss out of me. These like parasites infecting and how disgusting they were. Oh yeah, that, that but, like, final scene with them is horrific. That would have been, I think, a really cool early episode arc, mm-hmm. um or early couple season arc and then get to the Borg later on, but it's, they just never come back to that. In fact, like, you know, I, I was, I was shocked uh, to see the neutral zone episode explicitly. Cause I, I remember when we were watching, I'm like, wait, they're, they're actually setting up the Borg here. And you're like, Oh no, they're not. I'm like, no, they're talking like what other species can carve off entire cities from planets and lift it up in the orbit. It's like, that's gotta be the Borg and, and the Romulans don't fucking know about it. And like, so this, and I, and yeah, like the Borg are introduced like halfway through season two. Um, so, but, but it seemed like they were going to do that faster. Um, yeah, except the writer strike happened and then they got, you know, derailed on their whole plans for season two, which caused season two to be pretty shitty, but also I think might have saved the show overall. Cause I, man, if they, if they hit board season two, where does season three go? Mm -hmm. They'd have to come up with something bigger and better. And it didn't seem like they had the will i guess in that writing room to really make those kind of leaps i they went through 30 writers in the first two seasons <laughs> yeah man. i don't know it's a will, a will thing it's almost like a person that gets in there and gets traction is gone next week so yeah. fuck it you know uh if you weren't like gene roddenberry's close friend like dc fontana that worked with him in the beginning and is a well-respected science fiction writer in own right, or like his personal lawyer, or what, or literally has the authority to fire him. He didn't give a shit what you thought. Yeah. Um, and I, there's like a really amazing line because this guy that he got to run this Maury, uh, who said he's like he said I'm always I'm fighting for the show that Gene wants to make because Gene was always like oh I have these high-minded ideals and all that. It's like hey this episode let's get Picard's dick wet, you know. And he's like, that's not what the show's about. But also, he got like, I guess Patrick Stewart refused to read a line that one of the mm-hmm. the writers had written. And first of all, I got to know what this fucking line is. Yeah, yeah. Like, what is the line where Patrick Stewart's like, nope, I'm staying out in my in my trailer. I'm staying in my shitty trailer until until you guys fix this. Um, 
But Maury went in to tell this uh, executive at Paramount, he's like, you know what? Here's what we do. Between season one and two, the Enterprise will suffer a tragic accident, the loss of all hands, and we'll just assemble a crew and a new ship. And Terrible like, idea. These guys were ready to go to the fucking mat, the mattresses at the slightest provocation. Yeah. Like all of these guys on the head at the head of this thing in the first couple of seasons were just Brinksman all the time. Brinksman and women. Yeah, and I don't know how much of this is me just knowing how it turns out and being so pleased yeah. with the series overall, um, thinking that that's a terrible idea. Uh, maybe they could have pulled it off. Maybe they do some anthology type thing, right? Every year, yeah. a new Enterprise because the last one gets blown up and a I mean, new that's crew. That's what they're supposed to do with Disco, right? And I guess what they're actually going to do with the new Star Trek spinoff that they're doing is going to be an anthology each season, something slightly different. Um, but same thing, like Gates McFadden. I, yeah. I remember. I thought that this was because a combination of her being pregnant or working on a movie that she took a one season hiatus. But she was forced off the show, and they fully intended to replace her with this Pulaski doctor. Except for uh, I forget the name of the the actress. Um, didn't get along with the cast. Didn't get along with the crew. Didn't like the the technological focus of the first few seasons over the actors and said, fuck this. And they had to go back and, and beg Gates McFadden to come back because I hated Pulaski. Mm-hmm. Like it's she was clearly a gender bent McCoy there to resurrect the McCoy versus Spock energy with data. And it just didn't like it just made her seem needlessly cruel and antagonistic. Yeah. Like and it was anti Roddenberry, right? <laughs> like yeah. His vision. Yeah, it's strange like they, that they would bring in that character and then do that with with her considering their stance, Maury's stance on how Roddenberry felt, you know? Yeah, like when she says, calls him Data, and he's like, oh, my name's Data. And she's like, oh, what's the difference? Like, fuck you, lady. One's his name and one's not, which is essentially what he says. But, yeah. like, she's just, ah, God, I hated that, that character. So, and then this is all, again, all this massive upheaval was essentially the three dudes on top, Roddenberry, mm-hmm. Maury, and uh, that uh, John... Coleman or whatever the hell his name is. Um, so they have talked about the things that did work and the holodeck. Yeah, man, the holodeck is such a fantastic idea and it lets them have so much fun throwaway episodes and like infinity sets. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you, you think uh, uh, going to a different planet every week is an excuse to like stretch your imagination. Well, you got a holodaf- uh, holographic magic land yeah. uh, and that's something that paid off like like Gene Roddenberry deserves his executive producer credit just for coming up with the fucking holodeck and the transporter, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing they said, so they said the three things that work from season one holodeck Q and, and laying down the carpet or the, the roadway for the Borg. And, and, and I think that tracks Q is a strange one, right? Because he Q wasn't even in season one uh, until Roddenberry went and rewrote that pilot as a two hour pilot. And he had to add something and mm-hmm. Q is what he came up with. And they make this whole big thing about yeah. like, oh, an atheist wrote a God character analog into their. Right. Yeah. Atheists do that all the fucking time because sure. God as a concept exists, yes. whether a real yeah. God exists or not. Yeah. Uh, so like it was shocking to me how we got one of the best things of the entirety of, of Star Trek The Next Generation, in my opinion, from a studio exec saying, nah, we want this thing and playing that high game, high stakes poker game. Right. And, and Roddenberry is like, God, I got to fluff up this 45 minute episode into a minute or an hour 30. And you know what? Watching that, it checks out because the Q stuff has nothing yeah. to do with the far point stuff. The, it's, it's the, uh, what do they call that? The conceit of the episode, which is they're on trial for how, but it doesn't make sense. Like, yeah. this doesn't make sense that humanity is going to be judged on this very minor, low-stakes uh, trade deal yeah. that the Federation's making with the backwater and, like, the other... Like, it's what? The Cardassians and the Ferengi are in a three-way bidding match for star bases against the Federation? Uh-huh. And this is what humanity's being judged on? What the fuck? Um, I don't know. It's incredible that that turned into, if you step back and look at it, the entire arc of the series, right? Like first yeah. episode, last episode, it's all contained within those bookends. Q is kind of like that judgment of humanity is kind of the overall arc for the entire show comes from a studio note. 
Yeah, I wish I had seen this before. Um, a couple weeks ago, I recorded a, a podcast with uh, some guys that um, is about, uh, man, what's it? it's called A Podcast But Evil, if you guys want to check it out. Um, my episode's, I think, coming out next week. But it's on cue, and they invited me on because of my Star Trek background. Mm-hmm. And we talked about, like, you know, the, all the, the cool things about, like, you know, why is Q so successful? And it comes down to John Delancey and his performance. Like, he's yeah. both sharp, he's both very charming um supremely threatening because of his power level and how like capricious he is um and funny and malevolent um he's just like and 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 it's all his it all comes down to his performance mm-hmm. um and what they have him do i mean like like his shtick of like rapidly changing costumes and stuff is just like yeah. inherently kind of fun and visually oriented but like the idea that like that literally was roddenberry's Two three days before script before we we're shooting ass pull uh-huh. to f- inflate an episode twice its size is what a hail mary that connected man and, and I don't think uh, they found the Q character until later yeah. um, that first episode is a little different Q right a more serious Q uh, but definitely they they backed their way into something that was brilliant this is why I feel like that like eventually. You can report on. And I always said that, like, I think the entertainment is going to go the way of ESPN because one thing sports has is like these mythical things, like the catch, you know, um, or like this like improbable event at a very high stakes thing, like the Super Bowl, is immortalized because you only see that once every twenty years. Mm-hmm. And like Hugh would be, it'd be like you know the ass pull, and you would talk about that, like all, all these all time great like hail mary things that happen in Hollywood. We just never fucking know until somebody dies and the tell all comes out, right? Yeah, but yeah. it's it's inherently fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, this Ira Bear, he of the the cobalt blue goatee. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Who looks like he's essentially been a pickup artist his entire life or a jazz um, musician who got into jazz, got or, into like Blade Runner in his in his late 50s. <laughs> uh, you know that he he wrote the like this Rise of Pleasure Planet episode that like uh he pitched to Gene Roddenberry's like, "You know what? This is a Kirk uh, episode we're going to write for Picard. Mm-hmm. He's going to get to punch guys in the face. He's going to get to fuck the girl. He's going to get to solve. And it's it is one of my early favorite episodes. It's so much fun to watch. Yeah. Um, and but but Gene's original concept of this was going to be some kind of like yeah, like ladies are gonna be, yeah, <laughs> ladies are going to be kissing on ladies and dudes are going to be kissing on dudes and they're going to be kissing on each other because it's a 24th century and what the fuck is sex and gender even? Uh-huh. Um, which is interesting because that a lot of those key themes and concepts end up playing out in Next Generation, which makes it seem literally, gen- you know, literal generations ahead of its time. Um, yeah. but like everyone involved, even in 2014 is like, Oh, what kind of crazy idea that was. Um, but I just thought it's like, man, what if, and that's, that's where the dude, that's where you've got the mini skirts, the 24th century mini skirts. Do you yeah. want to talk about that? Yeah, well, before I, I wanted to mention, I love that Patrick Stewart can only remember one name of one planet in the entirety of the series. <laughs> and it is Riza because <laughs> I'm kind of like him. Like, yeah, yeah. I don't know. That's wait. How out. are you like that? Are you you only remember the places you've been where you got your dick wet, or no. are you bloody? <laughs> I only remember Riza. Like that's the only planet that yeah. I remember the name of. I'm having trouble yeah. thinking of of what the planet that the Federation is based on is called. <laughs> e R. Yeah, it's a weird combination. Of something letters. weird. Yeah, it's something weird. Um, but yeah, like uh, we we made fun of a lot in start in episode in season one that like. Uh, for an enlightened as the the, gener- the next generation is, in the very first episode, there's a lady in a very short miniskirt, just like out of the old series. Mm-hmm. And just when you're about to protest and be like, well, this is a bunch of sexist bullshit, a dude comes by in the exact same uniform, go-go boots and all. And yeah. you're like, oh, I see what you did there, Gene. Okay, okay. And he was trying to get like that shit jammed in every every single frame. Yeah, uh, there are a lot of a lot of skirts in, and I don't mean that in the sexist I th- way that the yeah, term no, is used in Hollywood. He, I'm sure. Again, he's kind of ahead of his time. It's like you could be sexy, just pitch down the middle. Try to be, you know, mm-hmm. uh, if you're gonna make Troy wear some ridiculous get up, have Jonathan Frakes wearing a dress with his nipples exposed, wearing jewelry, and putting on perfume the next episode to get sexed up by some Amazon woman. Like, yeah. just be fair with it. Nobody will complain if you give everybody a little taste, right? Yeah, sure. Sexy isn't inherently bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I don't know. what. Uh, 
uh, then they kind of come to the thesis that I kind of understood, which is Michael Pilar and Rick Berman essentially teamed up as executive producer and head writer to save Star Trek. And the way they did it is move away from the monster of the week, planet of the week. They still did that, obviously. Yeah, yeah, but it's, it wasn't like, what's going to happen this episode? But who is it going to happen to? How is it going to affect their relationship with the rest of the crew? Yeah. Because it, it's not like Star Trek has continuity, but it's not like it doesn't. Mm-hmm. You know, like every season, each character gets a, a one wrinkle to them that if you understand that, you'll appreciate the things that preceded it and come after more. But you can still kind of drop in and watch any episode and, and without missing a beat. And I think that's one of the coolest things about it. Um, yeah. And you know, they, it's got th- just is, the perfect amount of continuity for a procedural. Yeah, this is absolutely kind of the middle of the road for that. Um, and especially when you look at the two series that came before and after. Like Star Trek has almost none of that. The original series, Deep Space Nine, is almost all uh, continuity. Um, yeah. So yeah, th- it seems like there was an evolution of Star Trek that happened somewhere around season three and kind of stuck with the. And I don't know if that's an evolution of television in general because around mm-hmm. the time that that was happening, shows were starting to get a little more, um, a-, a little more or less serialized, I guess. I don't know what the term is. The the, I think serialized means it's just like a story and done. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so oh, they no, were no, becoming less proce- serialized. I think, um, yeah. Well, I thought procedural is the one where like there's very little continuity. It's the it's the um, the setting true. itself that generates the stories, and serialized means it's like a longer story. Like each each episode is a chapter in a book. But when I that think you can't of those old serials. The, the films I don't think of like but you're wrong because continuity. they did like 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 there's a there'd be a 12 part um huh. flash Gordon okay. and you had to go every week to and that's the the, the, the buy a ticket and and see the next uh, episode well then there was a shift toward serialization uh, yeah, yeah yeah that was happening I think broader in television uh, around mm-hmm. that time and so Star Trek might have just been picking up the new cues of writing techniques in television uh, right. from some of these younger uh, generation of people, the next generation of writers, uh, and just probably being a big influence that. too. Yeah, uh, but uh, because it's also interesting that like uh, for whatever reason, none of the studios wanted a piece of this. Not even CBS, the original. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a consequence, Star Trek was what they call first run syndication, which means they produce these episodes for the studio for no one in particular and then they would sell them to UHF stations independent stations non-network affiliates etc cetera, etc cetera. um and they would show them out a lot of frequently out of prime time now i i think uh star trek was always 7 p.m. on the fox affiliate where i grew up yeah um but it could be anywhere it could be sunday morning sunday afternoon thursday evening like wherever they wanted it um and this was kind of seen as like low budget low class kind of television um you know uh I, they gave several examples of like what first run syndication type stuff is um but star trek is the first one and only one that's ever won an emmy for best uh dramatic series which i didn't even know i i knew star trek yeah. won a few nominations for special effects and makeup and set design things like you know the 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 bullshit they always give to the genre stuff but i had no idea it got nominated for the big brass ring that everybody goes for yeah it um, seemed like the reaction to to star trek the next generation is not i guess what i would have expected like especially that first episode when they come out with that 2 hour pilot and they sit down with all the people the company yeah. and they show that thing and everybody was like mm-hmm. congratulating themselves on what we largely view as a semi incoherent uh mess it, of a pilot it, it was pretty much a hit like in that maybe not critically but like yeah. sci- because they also make the point that like in the mid 80s science fiction uh was uh, after a long renaissance is kind of dead as a doornail like, at least this kind of like you know high science fiction mm-hmm. uh, star trek's not that high but like you know you still have back to the future shit like that um but like the idea that like humans on a spaceship 200 years in the future 300 years in the future uh all that kind of stuff was very much not in the vogue so i think that you know i as a 12 year old nerd was like starving for this kind of shit yeah um and you know willing to overlook a lot of stuff and you know uh also for everything to people i i guess if you're comparing star trek next generation against like the wrath of khan 
it's pretty you know comes out the wanting but i think even the first few seasons compare pretty favorably to the old series like maybe mm-hmm. not as good as the character interactions between like the big three but like there's some stupid sh- fucking star trek the old series episodes oh yeah uh as bad as as and worse as anything that star trek the next generation's come out with mm-hmm. um but the final big point I want to bring out is like there was a problem with char- the, the Picard character, which is he had a massive stick up his ass. Um, and I even noticed we, we talked about this when we were watching, like how unlikable Picard can be in some of the episodes. Um, and the like they had this will they won't they between him and Beverly Crusher mm-hmm. the entire first episode season. We joked that like he was always shutting down with his hum, 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 hum. Um, the Borg kidnapping him and violating him humanized his character for good yeah like he never kind of reverted back to that like he always had arcs where he was uncomfortable with children or whatever but like he like 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 that gave a window into the character that picard that patrick stewart was able to really intuitively turn around um and i thought that's an obvious point in retrospect but i'd never even i never thought of it that way yeah it's one that has persisted through 2020 right like all the next generation movies. Uh, several of those were about his experience with the Borg. Picard is almost completely about that. Like, yeah, yeah. there's that, that was a huge watershed moment for that character. And they made a point of that. Like they, like all the things that star Trek, the next generation spawned off, like all the series, all the movies. Um, because the thing is like, I don't think a lot of people know that like, it's not like the old star Trek movies made serious bank. Yeah. They were shot extremely cheaply by reusing sets and uniforms. And in fact, most of the Star Trek shows like Paramount, they're they're a master of reusing shit and reusing uniforms and bridges and whatnot. Like, I think the battle bridge of the Enterprise was actually like the Wrath of Khan set or some shit like that. But Mm -hmm. like... um, they they would, you know, for a budget of 20, 30 million, make, you know, 75, 80 and make the fans happy. But it's not like, you know... Roger Ebert's giving these things four stars or getting Academy Awards. They had the $50 million budget making hundreds of million dollars worldwide. Like if it Star Trek, the next generation had failed. I imagine once the crew, the original crew ages out of their roles, Star Trek's just gone yeah. and maybe gets a cheesy 2000s movie reboot. But all of the Star Trek that's come since when, and, and honestly, if I'm being honest, like uh, the only thing I care about is deep space nine and Picard kind of, uh, but you wouldn't get sure. it. You wouldn't gotten it. You wouldn't have gotten it. Do we just talk ourselves out of like thanking Star Trek the Next Generation because you also have to blame it for Voyager, Enterprise, Discovery, <laughs> and parts of Picard, uh, and parts of a lot, a lot half of Picard, uh-huh. which it has its fans. No, they, they I, have their I fans. have uh, for as long as I remember, I have loved Star Trek the Next Generation, even the cheesy bits. Um, you know they're shitty, they're they're cheesy, but I love them. Can't help but love them. Uh, I, I love Deep Space Nine. That's kind of where it ends. Uh, yeah, yeah. Picard was okay. Yeah. Uh, Discovery yeah. was okay for the first season. I didn't watch much of the second. But yeah, well, uh, I'll, I'll be a fan if they keep making something watchable. I'll always be a fan. Like, I'll never stop being a Star Trek fan and, and you know, quoting it and loving it and having fond memories if they if they make star trek that's you know to my cup of tea or to my taste again then sure i'll get back into it but mm-hmm. um what else do we have to say about this i think that's it uh well thank you ann for commissioning this podcast really appreciate it hope we uh gave you and your husband something interesting to watch or listen to and um the other thing i guess i said is we've uh, made a reference to these watch parties that we're doing uh twitch in partnership with Amazon um, allows you to watch on their streaming service with an audience, uh, anything that's in their prime library, all the entirety of Star Trek, the next generation is in their live uh, library. So during this COVID time of not much television, we've been um, watching with, with uh, the bald move uh, family, uh, Star Trek, the next generation. We just got done with the first season and uh, you might've missed it too bad, but 
But we saved all of those repl- those those watches, and we're going to embed some time codes in those and make them available for club members. So if you want to watch us watch the cheesiest of Star Trek: The Next Generation, uh, that first season will soon be available. And I think we're going to be starting our live watches of season two starting soon. Follow at Bald Move on on Twitter if you want to keep up with the latest of that, or you know go to go to twitch.tv slash Bald Move and subscribe so you get notified of all of our um, broadcasts and whatnot. So yeah. it's a lot of fun. If you're an Amazon Prime member, it works flawlessly. The episode shows right in front of you. We're up in the corner giving our commentary, making jokes, interacting with the chat. It's a lot of fun. Um, and also commission podcasts. If you sound, if you think this seems like a cool idea that you can make us watch any piece of entertainment and we'll give uh, make a podcast about it, uh, you can take us up on that offer at support.baldmove.com. There's a commission of podcast link. Uh, you put your money down, you put the title of the thing that you want, you hit submit, and then I'll get back with you shortly and firm up the details and make it happen. So really pleased to be doing this again. It's pretty exciting. Uh, thanks, Anne, for popping the commission. Cherry, you can't do that again. You can't. No, you can't the put commission the commission podcast. Back in the got got the got, got, uh, uh, second go of virginity. Yeah. And Anne just, just uh, plucked that flower. <laughs> Uh, and as uh, she plucked it twice, because she's the next one I think we're doing is Galaxy Quest, which is, you know, we've we've got this line of like the Star Trek documentary, then the Star Trek uh, parody esque um, film, which is fantastic. I recently yeah, rewatched it. Th- throw me throw me in that briar patch uh, of of rich vein of Star Trek content. I will sm- I will smash these commissions out of the park every <laughs> single time. Hell yeah! Uh, but it's been it's been a lot of fun. I hope you guys have all enjoyed it. Uh, we will be back, uh, of course, next with whatever movies and projects we're working on. Uh, we already have another commission. Galaxy Quest will be coming out pretty soon. Um, but yeah, we will see you then. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. Later. <laughs>